This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at reactroundup.com slash kendoui. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. This week on our panel, we have Nader Davit. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And yeah, I took a little break, but I'm back. Lukas was also here, but uh, we're having trouble getting him back. There was a little bit of confusion as to how to get connected today. So anyway, hopefully he shows up. But we have a special guest this week, and that's Luis Vieira. Hey, hello, everyone. And now, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Let people know who you are, where you work, what you do. Yeah, so as you said, my, my name is Luis. I'm, I work at a, in Portugal at a company called Farfetch. I'm a front-end architect there. I work mostly on JavaScript stuff, more on the core side of things, infrastructure, shared components, that kind of stuff. And that, that's mostly it. Gotcha. Now, you wrote an article called Building Large-Scale React Applications in a Monorepo. Yep. And I know a lot of people, they hear the word monorepo and they kind of cringe. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to give us some of the rationale there before we uh, talk about how, talk about why? Why, why do you want to put it in monorepo? Yeah. Well, uh, here, monorepo is, is mostly in the sense of... Uh, Dividing a, a project in, in multiple packages. So to create a, a loosely coupled separation be, between them and also to, to facilitate the sharing code between projects. Because when you, when you start having uh, shared components between multiple applications in multiple repositories, Things tend to get hard to to test and update to know uh, what you need to test when you make a change if you've broken something or, or not. Then testing across multiple packages is hard. You need to npm link, and that doesn't always work as expected. So there are some some issues, and this happens mostly in in large scale projects and organizations where you have lots of components and lots of different projects. So what I, I was trying to, to solve with this was mostly that, trying to share code between applications and trying to make changes to, to that code, but in a safe way and trying to keep it in a, in a, in a maintainable way. And that led me to, to this notion of monorepo, it's similar to how many projects in the JavaScript community are organized. You can look at, for example, Babel and Jest and so on. They're organized as monorepos, so projects that are made of multiple packages. Some of them use Yarn workspaces. Some of them use, use Learner. Some of them use both. It depends. But here, monorepo is not in the sense that you put all the code in your organization inside one repository like Google does or similar to what I think Facebook also, also does. This is more like you have 
one application and like one domain and the shared code between that domain goes inside one rep repository to facilitate this this workflows and the maintainability of, of that code. Yeah, I, I like the idea of basically if I have two pieces of code that are likely to change together. You know, you brought up shared components as an example. So if I have a shared component that I'm editing, then I can go make all the changes related to that shared component and do one commit. Yeah, the thing is, if you have one component that is used by, I don't know, 20 different projects, it's hard to, to test against all of them and to know if your changes are, are safe or or not. And you can also make a breaking change to a component inside a monorepo and update all the users of that component. So, and you, you probably will have to do it if you work in a, in a monorepo. So it, it makes you like, it, it can make breaking changes harder, which can be a good thing. And it makes you like, <laughs> it obligates you to be more honest uh, about breaking changes <laughs> because you need to update the, the colors. So that, that's one one thing that comes that comes out of it but this this also requires some specific tooling to to make this work i've mentioned yarn uh, workspaces also learner those are the, some of the most popular tools but if you have multiple projects inside one repository when you make a change you probably don't want to test them all uh, always so you'll, you'll probably want to know what projects are affected by, by a change you've done and test only those projects. And that requires some more specific tooling that you probably may have to, to develop yourself. I'm not sure if there's things like that. I know that Learn allows you to see what's changed since, for example, master and you can, can ask Learner to run a script, for example, on only the packages that have changed uh, from comp comparing your branch to, to master, for, for example. And that's one way you, you can approach this. So it sounds like the trade-off is uh, complexity and you have to bring in extra tools to help you manage some of the stuff. It simplifies a lot of things in terms of managing the, the dependencies between, between different projects, but it requires some more advanced tooling, yeah. Um, you mentioned Lerna. Can you talk about that for a second? Because I've heard the name Lerna quite a bit lately, but um, I've never actually used it, so I'm not sure exactly what it does. Yeah. Uh, Lerna basically is a, a set of scripts to, to help you manage multiple packages inside a, a monorepo. So you have multiple packages inside one repository. And Lerna gives you scripts to run other scripts uh, on all the, the packages to publish those those packages. It also has some commands to manage dependencies or you can opt out of that and use Yarn to, to manage it for, for you. So it's basically, so you can, let's say you have a, a monorepo that has five different packages. You can run a command like learner build and learner will run the build command on uh, all of those five, five packages for, for you. And so when you, if th those packages inside the repository, they depend on each other, like Lerna creates symlinks between those, those packages. 
So packages inside one repository always use the, the latest uh, source code available. So they're always updated. And when you make an update to a package, Learner sees what other packages use it and they, it updates the version of the package that you, that you've made your, your update and updates the version of the dependence uh, of the packages that, that consume it. And then it can publish, publish them all to, for example, NPM all at, at once. So it manages all of that for you. One thing that I'm wondering about is if I put, say I have several packages that I'm using in my application and I put them all in one repo, how do I deal with things like the Git history getting messed up? Because aren't you going to get a big long Git history that may or may not have to do with whatever you're concerned about? Yeah, the the Git history gets much bigger, but it's always, your commits are always related to the packages that you're working on. But the the history gets gets mixed. Yeah, it depends on, on how on how you're working that. You can annotate your commits, so like uh, I've touched this package and so on. So and yeah, you can do stuff like it. But yeah, the project gets gets bigger in size and in, in history. So yeah, that's one of the of the trade offs. Uh, hi, Luis. It's Lucas here. Hey, hello. <laughs> hello. So uh, you spoke about uh, versioning before. Uh, I have a question. Uh, we work a lot with uh, semantic versioning here. So it's like uh, the the publishing is, uh, generates the Semver uh, version automatically based on the Git messages, right? Does it? How is the interplay with Monorepo? Is is there like a good story or? Yeah, Learner has some good tools to, to manage that. They, they have support for conventional commits. You, you know it? Yeah. So, uh, you can annotate your commits with a prefix like fix, patch, or breaking change, or stuff like it. And then Learner can use that information to determine the, the version of the package to, to be published. And it can also update the consuming packages accordingly. So yeah, in, in, in that sense, you have you have good tools to, to 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 do that. So if you go to the to the Learner website, you learnerjs.io, you can you can see all all of that information. There. I think they they mentioned the conventional commit support in, in there. That's what I I use currently to determine the the version of the packages to to be published. What if you're not doing semantic versioning? Then you just have to do it manually. Yeah, it can it can prompt you to to say you've changed these packages. What version do you want to to publish? And you can do it manually also. Because if you have five packages, you've changed three. You manually say I want to publish version X of this, Y of that, and and so on. So it has both both options. I like the, the conventional commits because you, it forces you to follow a, a convention on your commits and it makes things automatic. And then if you want to publish your packages, let's say on a CI server, it can do it automatically for you also and properly determining the, the version to, to be published. Yeah, that's good. Another, another question, and this is uh, one a big concern uh, I have before like starting a motor repo for at least for like a big application in a company or something like that mm-hmm. is 
how how is the the state of the the CI tooling regard that? Because like how how smart are these tools to like only run the the actual tests that you need to run and things like that? Because I can't imagine that if it's done like naively, you could take like yeah, yeah. days to run like a super simple uh, change because it need to run everything. So how how is the state of the tooling on CI? Can I jump in before you answer this? Because I, I also see that that what what you're seeing as a weakness could also be a strength. Because if I make a small change, then everything gets tested against it, and so I know that everything works with it. So I think it just depends on the context of the change and whether or not you want to run everything. But yeah, yeah. If a project gets too big, running everything always can be can, can be a bit impractical because it can take a, a long time. But the CI tools normally they don't give you that uh, out of out of the box. You you have to properly configure that in your project and then run the tell CI to run the scripts that will do that for you. But uh, yeah, you, you you have to to make some custom configurations to your project to to make that work properly. But and what I'm trying to work with is like yeah, I'm using Jest and I'm I'm trying to use some learner commands to figure out which packages have changed and telling Jest to just uh, test those projects. And that, and Jest is very good on that. On end-to-end side of things, if you have uh, two different applications inside a project, you probably only want to run the end-to-end test of the application that was affected by, by your change. And in, in, in there, you, you will need to make some custom scripts because uh, there aren't many tools that are as good as just in, in that sense. So yeah, you'll need to create some custom scripts in, in, in there. You, you'll need to, to invest in some, in some tooling. At least from, from my experience, that's what I, I found out. Yeah, that you'll need to make some custom scripts to make this work like very fluid in, in, a, in a very large manner. Because if you have like a medium-sized thing, like, like I have, I worked on repositories that have like 10 or 20 different React components, I have no problems running all the tests all, all, all the time. But if I have a project that has like uh, 10 different components and uh, more than one application inside, then I, I, I will invest in creating some more advanced scripts to, to make yeah. that happen. Yeah, I asked that because I, I talked to, to, to some people that work in, at Google and it seems that like Google they are very like heavy monorepo users. Uh, I, I don't have a lot of information on that, but it says that inside Google, and they have this custom-made build tool yeah. that they are open sourcing. I think it's called Blaze. I will I'll look up here. But it seems yeah. that the open source version is still not like as complete as yeah. the one they use inside. And that's, it's like, you still need to, to have some custom-made yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. The open source version that they have, I think it's called Basil or, or Basil. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. But um, the, the Google approach, they, they put, uh, from what I've read, uh, almost all of the organization code in one repository. That's why they have those massive scale issues. So uh, I'm not uh, an advocate for, for that. So, like my, my approach is more like inside a domain on your company try to put all the projects that are related in one repository to make working on them easier and updating shared code easy, but not all the organization code because that will require some some very custom tooling. 
I think I've even read that Google has abandoned Git because Git couldn't scale to the size of their repository, so they've created some custom tooling in in there. <laughs> yeah, I've spoken to a number of people that work at Google either on the Angular team or on some of the applications that use Angular, you know, because we have an Angular podcast. And yeah, I mean, most most of what you're saying is is pretty spot on with Bazel. And yeah, they, everything, everything there, with the exception of like Angular and a few other things that are open source that other people are using, they're all in that mono repo. They're all in the same repo and they all use the same build system, which is Blaze internally and Bazel yeah. externally. Currently, I'm more focused on, on React, but for, for example, if I'm building like a a component library, a style guide for, for an application of components, uh, I found that it's, it's much easier to maintain them if you put them all in a, in a monorepo. Like for a, a component library, I, I wouldn't think twice. What I'm trying to, to do now and experimenting with is the, having the application that consumes those components also inside that, that repository. So, okay. And that's it. I, I, I don't want to put anything else <laughs> in there. That's, that's enough for, for me. Then if I'm making, other uh, other application, I would create it on on the side. I think that's an interesting point that you're making there. Is that the mono repo isn't a solution for put all of your stuff in the same bucket, right? It's put all the related stuff in a bucket and then put all the other stuff that relates to you know internally in another bucket. Yeah, you can approach it in both ways, really. But but that's yeah. how I how I uh, approached it. But yeah. yeah. So one other thing that I saw in your article that I want you to address briefly is a lot of people have built monolithic applications and, you know, those kind of go into a mono repo and, you know, there are problems that, that occur with the maintainability of that. And I've been guilty of building those. So what's the difference between a monolithic application and a mono repo? Okay. So having uh, uh, all the code in, in the same place doesn't mean that we're building a, a, a monolith of pieces that are intertwined to, together and the relation between them is, is not really clear. So here we, we can have a, a clear separation of, of packages and of components as if they were built as separate pieces. The only thing that changes is that the pieces are in the same place. But the, the architecture of the application and the coupling between those pieces, uh, is, is very, is still very separated. It, it, that part doesn't change just because they are under, under the same repository. You, you can even have like some, um, linting rules that don't allow you to import internals of a package that's inside that monorepo. You have to directly consume the package as if it was from NPM. So that you can't create that tight coupling between those, those the packages that are inside the monorepo. Gotcha. So how do you structure your monorepo then? I mean, if you have a whole bunch of different packages that you're building in it, um, it sounds like yeah. Luna helps you with that. But yeah, how, how do you put them in there? Just the file structure and things. Yeah. What, what I'm currently trying to do is like I have a if I have two folders that are managed by by Luna. One for apps and another for components. And the, inside those folders, uh, I have, inside the apps folder, for example, I have the, the apps, the app folders for each app that is inside that repository, inside a components folder, 
folders for each component, shared libraries, etc. And each folder is a npm package as its own package JSON, its own set of scripts, uh, etc. So and the the applications consume the, the packages as if I was consuming them from from npm. But as as Lorna sim links the the code together, though instead of going to npm picking up the that code. The, the application goes to the repository and picks the latest version of the of the code. So that's the, the overall structure. And then I use Learner to run scripts across all of those packages. So let's say I want to run the build command, it can run Babel on each of the components I have in the repository, and then it can run, for example, Webpack on the application. So I'm, I have everything built. And what I'm, I'm trying to to do uh, currently is like when I change a component, I I use learner internals to determine the the package graph and to see which applications inside my monorepo use that component, and trying to create a set of scripts to determine the minimum set of tests that I need to do to make sure that my change is is safe. So if you have different scripts, or if you have the same script running across all these different um like areas in your um, application, I'm guessing that you have to have consistent um, naming conventions and things and scripts in your package.json, or can you put those all in one place and have them run across the entire app? You you can you can choose you can configure one for example for for the build example that um, uh, I've, uh, I've said. So you can create like an npm build script in each package you know, on the packages and of each package. You can do that. Or in the root of the project, you can create a, a script that goes to all the folders and runs some some scripts in in there. You can choose having a the script configured in each package can be useful if, for example, you are using Babel on the components and you want to one by one migrate them to TypeScript or, or things like it. You can configure one component to be built using TypeScript, other using Babel, and another using uh, another thing. So it can facilitate things in, in, in that sense. But if you want to keep things con consistent and always built in the same way, you can in the root package JSON of the monorepo con configure that. So what I currently do, I put all the dev dependencies under a root package JSON so that they are all consistent between the, the packages of, of that repository. And I, I configure a set of scripts on, on the root to, to run the same thing on, on all of them to keep things consistent. Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute, flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price-to-performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash roundup. But you can you can choose how, how you want to, to, to approach that. If you if you are migrating things and if you have a set of different technologies being used, you can configure a script on each package and it will it will build things for, for you. 
I'm kind of curious also about continuous integration and continuous deployment across um, an application like this. Does this change the way that you have to think about that stuff? Is it harder? Is it easier? Or does it matter? Well, it, it, in my approach, uh, after I, uh, I have the scripts configured, what I, I run in my machine to determine what needs to be tested is what I run on, on CI. So after you have those sets of scripts aligned, you, you can run them in, in both places. So I, what I'm currently doing is like I have a set of scripts like, for example, if you run NPM test, I can test the whole repository. But if you run NPM test with a flag, for example, uh, affected or changed or something like it, I determine what has been changed in the repository using a set of git commands and, and so on. And then it only uh, tests what was changed and affected by, by the change you've made. And then I run that same set of scripts on, on CI also. So after you have the, the tooling con configured, you can run it in, in both places. So if, yeah, yeah. If, I, if I have a project that's spread across multiple repositories, is it worth pulling them into a monorepo or should I just continue where I'm at? Well, if you have like one application that consumes code maintained by, by by your company internally, like from several different repositories, I, I think it makes things easier. Yeah, In terms of, of uh, maintainability and integration of, of things, I, I find that it keeps things simpler. Because when, when I make a change that's up to a package that's consumed by several different other projects, it's it's really hard to to know what will happen. And and sometimes what happens is people get afraid of touching that code and, <laughs> and it gets uh, unmaintained. So having things in the structure can can make it easier in in, in that sense. So you, when you make a change, you immediately know what will what will happen if things will will work or, or not. Yeah, I'm just wondering if it's worth doing the migration. If you hear this and you're going, that makes sense. I like the trade offs, but yeah, is it worth copying all that code over to one repo? Yeah, Lambda has a command called import. It will pick up your repository and import it to the mono repo oh, cool. with your gate history and all that stuff. <laughs> so you can you can try that. It's pretty cool. That makes sense, and that that sounds like it's not terribly difficult then. Yeah, uh, well, it, it it can depend on your on your project and uh, the configurations you you have. But if if you are publishing your project as a, an npm package, it should be pretty straightforward migrating to to the mono repo. Because Lerna is is made for managing npm packages, so if if it's an NPM package that uh, you have in multiple repositories, yeah, I believe that it will be easier to import them to, to a monorepo. Yeah, it's uh, this uh, part of the development that, that you talked about. Like you, It's very difficult when you have uh, libraries and a bunch of repositories. It's very difficult to know what depends on this particular project, right? You can, the other, the other answer is really easy. Like what this project, Depends on we have a package JSON for that. Yeah, the yeah, other, yeah. Yeah. The other the other way around, like if I change this, like which which places should I go to update <laughs> this breaking change? And usually, like you have those uh, not uh, touched often applications that 
in three months someone yeah, will yeah, yeah. have to do like a few <laughs> breaking. So this is uh, this is it's it always if if you think about it also brings a little bit of risk, right? Because like you're you're touching a lot of code a lot of a lot of the time. So sometimes people are afraid to touch some code that is like ready yeah, for yeah. and sometimes this, this fear is like justified because you're the more code you commit you have a a, a higher hit risk so you believe that this is like a, a good price to pay right yeah so yeah i think it, it can give you more confidence in the to, to make changes to to shared code and it makes it easier also to create uh, shared libraries because you sometimes if you're in an application you can drag a folder below and you you've created a, a shared library which can sometimes be hard in a in a company because then you need to create a repository you need to create yes. a pipeline and then pipelines will be spread across very different repositories you need to maintain them all like they have environment your configurations etc linting and all that stuff will get under different versions in all of that on all of those repositories so it can become hard to maintain if you if they they start spreading a lot. So yeah, think that there are there are uh, obviously trade offs that you have to to consider. But one thing that you uh, I think we haven't discussed is like if we have like many contributors to a repository, let's say that you have like two hundred people contributing at the same time to a repository, you may need to. <laughs> Have some some tooling around managing the the merge requests, etc., uh, and things like it. I've seen some some articles on companies that use uh, merge bots to say like when a merge request gets approved, you assign it to a merge bot, and it will take care. It will create a queue and take care of merging that that code safely for for you without merging on top of of each other. Because when you have like 100 or 200 contributors, like can get hard. And when you have a project with that scale, also CI time is is important because you don't want to wait like four hours for your code to to get deployed or something like it. So that's why in those large, very large scale repositories, you need to make uh, an investment in tooling upfront. If you're you're making a, a repository with 20 packages inside, those packages are relatively small components. Things go go go, smooth, go smoothly just using Learner with Yarn or something like it. But when if you have a project that is bigger in size with a lot of contributors, yeah, the the tooling investment is needed to make things smooth. So this is the trade-off, right? So the trade-off is the complexity in the in CI mostly, right? In exchange of a smoother uh, development experience makes sense yeah so what i'm trying to do is like create a a a project that like some that has some scripts to to handle these these cases and provide this to to teams that want to work in this in this model so you have a a centralized place that has these these tools Mm -hmm. and you you can give this to to teams and they get this by by default because once you have this things can can go pretty pretty smoothly. This isn't really React specific, but um, do you recommend putting backend code in the monorepo, or is this more kind of this discussion really more around just front end projects? Boy, take it to the wild west. 
you can uh, I, I've seen examples of having like the, the application and the, the back end of the application and shared UI components and libraries all in the in the same place. The and you mentioned that uh, I, I talked a lot about React, but uh, I took a lot of inspiration from the Angular project that worked in this way. I don't know if you heard about a project called uh, NX. Uh, it's yeah by uh, Narwhal. Narwhal. It's an extension of the uh, Angular. Yeah, CMI. yeah, yeah, yeah. They they are very big proponents of this way of of working. And they have very, very good tooling for, for this, and it's uh, open source. It's very good. If you are into Angular, I, I'll advise you to check that out because uh, many of the scripts I, I built, I, I went for to, to Narrow to see how they do, do things. Yeah, the, their project is really cool. They have they have some very good tools to, to work on that. So if you're working on, on Angular, the, it's, the tooling issue is probably solved for, for you already. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I've also seen some things that uh, Angular has some projects that they are trying to adopt Basel as a, a build tool. And I think that um, NX also has some things with, with, with Basel, at least some experimental stuff. So they're, they're working on, on that. And they have some good talks on NG, NGConf, I think, uh, about working in, in this way. There's also a very good talk that's called Building Angular Applications Like Google. And they, they also talk about this way of, of working. And if you, if you go to the, to, to my article in the end, you have links to, to all of these talks. So, yeah, that's where uh, I took most of the inspiration to, to work in, in this way. Basically, I, I'm trying to, to make this work for, for, for React. <laughs> That's one thing that I'm wondering about here when we're talking about um, building large-scale React applications in a monorepo. Does React make this easier or harder? Or is it about the same as anything else like Vue or React or Angular or something else? Well, I, I don't have much experience here in Angular or Vue, to, to be honest. So I can't tell you if one is harder than the other. I can tell you that I didn't have many difficulties uh, adapting these concepts to a React application. So I think that they mostly work in the same way. Like the, they have components. Angular has like ng modules. I think uh, I don't know how, how it works on, in Vue, but the, uh, the implementing these concepts in for React applications uh, was was pretty straightforward actually. So, so let me ask you while they're thinking if there's anything else they want to ask. Okay. Um, if people want to find you online, uh, looks like you have you post a medium, but are there other places where people can find you? How do, how do they find all of your stuff? Well, well mostly medium and, and Twitter uh, are my main <laughs> the main ways you you can you can find me on, on online. And what what's your handle? I see on medium it's uh, Luis Vieira, and I'll just spell that out so people can find you. Underscore GMR. So it's yeah. uh, L U I S V I E I R A underscore GMR. <laughs> yeah. And is that the same on Twitter? Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, Lucas and Natter don't look like they're burning to ask any more questions. So we'll we'll jump over to picks and do some picks. Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. 
The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Nader, do you want to start us off with picks? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm going to be giving a free workshop with uh, Tyler McGinnis. Um, it's going to be streamed live. You can also go back and watch it. It's going to happen in the next uh, month or month and a half. We haven't released a date. But um, if you're interested in that, just um, follow me on Twitter or uh, go to Tyler McGinnis's website and subscribe to his newsletter and um, you'll get notified when that comes out. And then also React Native EU is coming out, is going to be a conference and I think it's in September, early September. I'm going to be there giving a workshop on building cloud-enabled mobile applications with React Native and AWS. Um, if you're interested in React Native, come out to the conference. It's going to be a great time. Um, also, I'm going to be writing a few blog posts around that subject uh, later on this month. So um, again, if you're interested in um, learning how to build cloud-enabled mobile apps with React Native or with React, actually uh, check out those posts. And is your workshop with Tyler in person or online? It's actually online. Yeah. So anyone can come. It's completely free. Um, we'll have a uh, GitHub repository for you to follow along and also some stuff to do at the end of each session. It's going to be three days, um, two hours a day. So um, it's not going to take up all of your time, but it will be a couple of hours every day. All right. And do you want to just repeat the links again so that people can find them? Yeah. So if you just Google Tyler McGinnis, it's spelled T-Y-L-E-R-M-C-G-I-N-N-I-S. It's TylerMcGinnis.com. And then um, React Native EU, you can just Google that and the, the conference website should pop up. Awesome. Lucas, what are your picks? All right. My pick uh, came out of a situation uh, last week. We had this, we have this uh, complicated visual component that we were trying to, to understand, like all the edge cases and stuff in, a, in, a, in this big, big meeting with uh, both designers and business people, it's very difficult to communicate those like complex behaviors and stuff like that, a lot of whiteboarding and stuff. And one of uh, our designers, Tim Doze, he brought the attention. He said, like, I think I found this tool online that may, may help us. And it's called Sketch Systems. Let me post here the Sketch Systems. It's a, it's a, it's a really cool website that, that helps you build a, a state machine and visualize it and then uh, interact with it. And this proved to be like a great tool to, to interact in that sense. So like everybody, people who code and people who do not code can contribute in a really complex uh, UI behaviors using this tool. So this is my pick for, for the week. This, this state machine stuff is like blowing my mind. <laughs> Awesome. I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks. So uh, I mentioned at the start of the show that I had taken some time off. Um, Y'all probably noticed if you've listened to the last few episodes, I wasn't around. Um, But uh, yeah, I was pretty burned out. Um, I'd been dealing with a lot of things, you know, kind of from the start of the year, things just kind of continually piled on. And what's funny is I took the time off and I really didn't get that many of those things off my plate. But just taking the time off was really important. And I think a lot of times we fail to talk about that often enough where it's like, look, if you're overwhelmed, if you've got a lot going on, take a breather. 
Um, you know, I, I took about two weeks. The first week I worked on the systems for the podcasts. So, you know, a lot of Rails. Um, I'm playing with Stimulus.js right now. Um, so I've been kind of checking that out. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been kind of fiddling with that. And the second week, we went down to Southern Utah with my wife's family and just we went and played on the lake one day. I, I took naps when I wanted to, played a lot of board games. Um, did I mention that I got a little extra sleep? Um, anyway, it was just a really, really positive thing. So um, I'm just going to recommend, yeah, I mean, whatever kind of downtime you need, um, take it. And then the other thing is, is that I've been um, evaluating my role in the podcasts. Um, I mean, you know, the, the podcast network now has 16 shows, I think. And so, uh, you know, I'm sitting here going, I don't know if I can record as many shows as I'm currently recording. And so figuring out which shows and how often and how do I support the current hosts so that they can continue to do the shows because people want them. Um, and so that's the other thing is, I think it's also healthy just to take a step back and say, am I where I want to be? And am I able to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish? And for me, a lot of that boils down to how much time I get to spend with my family. And a lot of that boils down to um, how much of a difference I can make with the podcast being a host versus um, managing a lot of the production and having awesome hosts that aren't me on the show. And so, um, you know, and I think, I think we've got great hosts on all the shows, but, um, you know, some of the shows, they have a little bit of an issue getting recorded if I'm not there. And so figuring out, okay, you know, how do I deal with that? Do I care to deal with that? You know, or do I just, you know, if I'm not there and they don't record, I have to be okay with that. And so anyway, there's a lot of evaluation there. But I hear people too, they complain about their jobs. And, you know, when somebody finally says, we'll go find a new one, it's like this light bulb goes on and they realize they're not stuck where they are. So just evaluate where you're at. Is this where I want to end up? Is this close to where I want to end up? You know, maybe the difference is a raise or a little bit different uh, job description from what you're doing, but not drastically different. So yeah, figure out what, you know, what the next step is for you and what'll make you happy and go for it. So I know that I, I, that's none of those are concrete picks. You can't go buy those things on Amazon, but that, that's kind of where I've been the last few weeks. So uh, anyway, just, just give it some thought and take some time off. Uh, Luis, what are your picks? Uh, so my pick goes to the View CLI. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a pretty cool project. And I, I would advise you to try it even if you're not into, into view, just because of the experience they, they give you of bootstrapping a new project. And they, they also built a very cool UI on top of the CLI. So that means like the, the commands that you normally run, like build and start a dev server, et cetera, you can run them through a UI and get feedback on the UI of what's happening. And the experience is pretty cool. You can bootstrap uh, an application in the UI. You can install plugins, configure things. You can even, I think, configure a service worker and a manifest file in the, <laughs> in that UI. So I, I've tried it and the, the experience is pretty cool. And I, I thought just I want this for making my React applications. <laughs> so go ahead, give it, give it a chance and, and try it. Even if you're not into interviews, just to get inspired by the developer experience they they are providing because uh, i really think it's, it's next level awesome 
All right. Well, thank you for coming, Luis. Really appreciate it. And I encourage everybody to go check out the blog post. He has some pretty, uh, you know, concrete ideas about how you can do this kind of monorepo for your React apps. Also, if you you want to expand your, your knowledge in this, check the, the talks that are mentioned in, in the end because they, they have some really, really good content and how other companies and other projects approach that. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you all for coming. Thanks for having Thank us. You. We will catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>